Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of Kicking Out at Two. I'm your host, Dave Rosenbluth, and this week we're bringing you another installment of our Trading Places concept as we discuss fully loaded 2000 from the WWF. We are just approaching the, uh, the, or we have already approached the 20 year anniversary of that event. That event took place on July the 23rd, 2000 from the Union Arena in Dallas, Texas with an attendance of 16,504 people. Um, Going back and and I had to watch this show again to kind of do this, this concept here our trading places the role reversal and man i'll tell you it was as fun watching it now as it was 20 years ago when i was a kid um in the height of my in the i should say the peak of my wrestling fandom um yeah it was it was a great show um it was not one of the big four traditional pay-per-views like rumble mania SummerSlam, or survivor series but it was a really strong card with the the uh, a stacked roster at that time in the WWF, and this is when they were just kind of um, you know pulling away from the race when it came to uh, the the battle for rating supremacy with WCW. Um, so uh, yeah, um, I'm really looking forward to discussing this with you guys. Really looking forward to getting into all the role reversals and the different trading places scenarios. Uh, but before we do all that, um, get into our social media, both Facebook and uh, Twitter. Facebook.com forward slash kicking out at two, and our Twitter handle is at kicking out two K I C. C-K-N-O-U-T and the number two. Uh, We got pictures and GIFs and memes, uh, links to archive shows, some great discussions, polls. Uh, So be on on the lookout for anything and everything retro pro wrestling fun on both our Facebook and Twitter. Give us a like on Facebook. Give us a follow over on Twitter. And you can also find us a part of the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network by searching Retromania with a W. You can find us on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, and multiple podcast platforms available by searching Retromania with a W. The backlog archive of not only this show kicking out at two, but also all the other great shows like Marking Out the Day's Weekend, Warrior, Hulkamania's Dead, Origins of Attitude, Gaijin Wrestling Radio, and other great additional bonus content content that's over there on the retro mania pro wrestling podcast network um so if you like retro pro pro wrestling podcasts if you like to talk about you know if you like to listen about stories from the past of wrestling you want fan accounts of you know our our fandom when it comes to the history of pro wrestling then look no further to retro mania uh kobe does a great job uh orchestrating and constructing that network uh to to be a a a fun-filled um, experience of reliving your childhood memories, your your younger years as a pro wrestling fan, uh, by going back and, and discussing um, all these great historical moments in the industry. So uh, check all that stuff out over there at the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. Okay, um, <clears throat> let's uh, let's get into it. Um, like I said, fully loaded 2000. Uh, we just approached the 20-year anniversary of that show. It was July 23rd, 2000 from the Union Arena in Dallas, Texas. Um, like I said, great show. I would go out and, you know, if there's one pay-per-view to watch or one show to watch this week, I would go back and watch this show. Um, I thought this was a fantastic card from start to finish. Um, it just, uh, you know, one of those pay-per-views that you didn't have a whole lot of expectations going into it. Um you, you, there was some good stuff that you 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 knew would be good or you hoped would be good, and there's some stuff you didn't really you know have any high expectations for, and you just got blown away. And this was one of those shows where it was like the the, the things that you least expect they they delivered. Um, so with that being said, let's get into the first um, matchup that was on this card. Um, it would be, let me go back into my notes here. I apologize. The f- opening match would be a mixed tag team, six-person mixed tag team match with the Hardy Boys, Matt and Jeff, teaming with Lita to take on the team of TNA and Trish Stratus. TNA consisted of Test and Albert. Um History had showed us that the Hardy Boys and Lita defeated Test and Albert and uh, Trish Stratus in this mixed tag team bout. But what if the roles were reversed and what if TNA, Test and Albert, uh, were to have gotten the victory um, and Trish Stratus as well? Now, this match was mainly um, 
the the focal point really a part of this uh, of this match was Trish and Lita. Um, in the weeks leading up to this match, um, the Hardys and 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 TNA. Um, they had a you know they had a match on Raw and uh, um, you know Trish and Lita got heavily involved, but the real big focal point of this story was when um, Lita and Trish on an on an edition of Monday Night Raw um, they had gotten uh, a ladder and a table um, in, into there was some sort of post match situation where they got physical and a ladder and a table got brought into the ring and Lita climbed the ladder and Trish pushed her off the ladder through the table and that's like the big like highlight moment there um, from that rivalry and so many had anticipated that tables and ladders would be brought into the mix even though neither teams were the tag team champions um, that they would kind of incorporate it somehow but more importantly with Trish and Lita um, the women's division wasn't setting the world on fire at the time but um, the women were featured more prominently on WWF programming but in a more of a, um, a an eye candy type of role but however Trish was starting to um, get a little more physical in her role um, she was taking some chances and Lita was very physical right out the gate when she when she debuted with WWE as the valet for SA Rio she would get involved in his matches so many expected there to be some kind of physicality um, leading to some kind of like hardcore match between the two with like weapons and you know that was the thing at the time the hardcore division was very popular in the WWF the 24-7 rule with Crash Holly um, which is something I'll get into at, a, at another at another date. However, um, you know, many had, many had anticipated that it was going to lead to some kind of stipulation gimmick match between the two ladies. It didn't. It got us to the six-person mixed tag, which opened this card. Like I said, the Hardys and Lita came out the victors, defeating Trish, to, uh, along with Test and Albert. But what if Trish, Test, and Albert picked up the victory? Um, where does that lead to what how do you jump off from that point um if, if history you know changed the results and we saw test and albert defeat um the hardys uh, along with trish um how would that treat the tandem known as tna and trish stratus well um i think at that time um it would be a nice feather in the cap for, for, for Test and Albert, but I don't really see them going very far. Um, they were a team that was kind of thrown together uh, because two guys had, there was, there, was, there was something that management saw in both of them respectively and thought maybe we could put these two together. And they put the two of them together and they put Trish and they had some, some decent outings as a team. Uh, even with this, this match with the Hardys, it was a really fun opener. Um, crowd was super hot for this match crowd was super hot for everything that night but um there was there was something that management saw in these in these guys and that's why they paired them up with trish um but i really didn't i really don't see much for for test and albert maybe a shot at the tag team titles down the line um maybe if the hardys were to win the belts later um test and albert could lay claim to a victory and we get a match but this time it's for the titles um i don't really see a whole lot there um, and Test and Albert too also were um, their roles on television they kind of bounced all over the place even though they had this issue with the Hardys they were also kind of allies with Shane McMahon and the McMahon family um, you know for the in the weeks prior uh, getting involved in the um, the uh, the the um, the, the storyline with the rock and Undertaker and Kane and and things like that so um, this here I don't think it really would have done them many favors. Um, uh, certainly a victory would, I think, would have helped their stock, but I don't think WWF was really going to push them all the way. They, were, they had a crowded tag team division. Think about this here, okay? This tag team division was loaded at the time. You had the Hardys, Edge and Christian, and the Dudleys. The three right there, okay? They're at the top, all right? With all the TLC matches they had and the triangle ladder matches, um, they were at the top. Then you had the APA. You had Too Cool. You had Tess and Albert. At, the, at one point, you had the Radicals that were a tag team. Um, so, I mean, you had a loaded tag team division, and Tess and Albert were kind of, I wouldn't say at the bottom, but they were... They weren't up there, okay? They were they were almost like a like a placeholder team. Um, 
a team that you know had some credibility but you know they were used to help get the other teams over to help further along other storylines so i really don't see much for test and albert uh, following a victory over the hardys like i said maybe a tag team title opportunity down the line had the hardys been um you know have the hardys win the tag team titles now as far as trish goes if trish were to have defeated lita okay um i could picture if if the if the if the final fall came and trish was the one that got the victory over lita i could picture them pivoting off of this match to a singles match with lita and trish at SummerSlam. um trish at the time not only was managing um test and albert but she was also managing val venus who was kind of in a weird spot um from a character standpoint and so um i personally um even though like as we saw in 2000 that the hardys the dudleys and engine christian would renew their rivalry and have the first ever tables ladders and chairs match at SummerSlam, and lita had some involvement in that i feel like we still could have seen trish and lita in a featured match at SummerSlam. um the idea at least in storyline was was that trish was getting the best of lita even though trish wasn't a trained wrestler and lita was perceived as the better wrestler the better performer um that could be the, the the hype going into a SummerSlam match with the two of them is that Trish, this untrained wrestler, is getting the best of Lita every single time out of the gate. Now it's one-on-one. -on -one. Lita's got her opportunity. And then maybe you kind of add the stipulation to hide some of Trish's um, lack of experience in the ring. Maybe you throw in a gimmick match like it's a hardcore women's match, the first ever women's hardcore match um, at SummerSlam. I, I, I could see something like that. It, that's even something that was rumored at the time. So uh, maybe it was an idea that they threw on the table and then they pulled it back. Eventually we would see at that SummerSlam Lita getting involved in the, in the TLC match, um, you know, in, in, in a brief moment. Um, and then getting taken out by Edge with a spear. And Trish actually wrestled Val Venus to take on Eddie Guerrero in China for the Intercontinental Championship in a tag team match, which was pretty silly in and of itself. But um, nonetheless, um, you know, uh, I, where I could see this going is Trish and Lita moving forward in some kind of stipulation match at SummerSlam. Um, Further beyond that, I don't know, because um, the WWF at that time was so unpredictable. I really couldn't tell you. You know, everyone's directions would change any which way. Um, programming was good, and the unpredictability was good, but um, just when you think that you had it all figured out, they go ahead and just kind of change direction on you. So, um, you know, Trish got Trish was involved in a number of different things on television between managing several guys, the the stuff with Lita. Um, eventually, she would get involved in the 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 Kurt Angle Triple H Stephanie McMahon love triangle. I mean, it was just it, it to me it was just it was a little too much Trish. And I love Trish. I thought she's a great performer, but like there was just a lot going on with her, and I don't know if that was their way of trying to feel out where she fit best or if they just wrote her into certain things because they felt she was that strong of a character and she could handle multiple roles i don't know but um that's where i can kind of see this going uh the hardys the uh, you know they're they're very popular so i i can't see them i can't see this loss hurting them they were the kind of team at that time that you know they actually thrived off of a loss whereas um you know if they were to have gotten beaten um people wanted to see them get their revenge back so i think a Hardy Boys uh, loss doesn't really hurt them per se. All right, the next match that took place at this pay-per-view was between Taz and Al Snow. And history showed us that Taz defeated Al Snow with the Taz mission um, in 5 minutes and 20 seconds. Now, um, this rivalry wasn't... It wasn't anything spectacular. Um, this was a way to kind of build up Taz, which I was kind of enjoying because I felt like Taz gotten soft from his transition from ECW into the WWF. So I really enjoyed this this mean streak that Taz was having. And Al Snow was just, you know, another stop along the way to where they wanted to go with Taz. So um, history showed us that Taz defeated Al Snow. Um, and... 
had the roles been reversed, this is a situation where I don't think had Al Snow defeated Taz, I don't think this would have hurt Taz. Um, like I said, Al Snow was just kind of a stopgap for Taz. They kind of, um, you know, briefly touched upon their history in ECW, but it wasn't a focal point of the storyline. This was more or less Taz had kind of, you know, changed his attitude, changed his ways, um, turned his back on the fans, and Al Snow was there to just kind of stick up for everybody else that was that was taking the brunt of Taz's punishment. So. In this instance here, let's just say that history, you know, reversed the roles and Al Snow is the victor. Um, what happens to Taz? What happens to Al Snow? Where do they go from here? Where do their characters go? Um, Al Snow, I don't think really does much. Um, I don't think this is going, I don't think this victory over Taz is going to pivot him into another stratosphere, so to speak, in terms of, you know, moving further up the card um if anything he just kind of stays where he's at maybe this is the, the 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 win here is designed to help get more ta more heat on taz um you know maybe maybe taz maybe al snow defeats taz and we see something where taz steals head okay which isn't the first time that al snow's head has been a focal point of the story maybe taz you know post-match flips out goes nuts and beats on al snow gives him a taz mission makes him pass out um we get a stretcher job and uh you know al snow is laid out on a stretcher and head is still left in the in the ring and taz grabs head and taz has a hold of head and um Taz just kind of is it's like a trophy to him like all right I got one over on my victim and I took a little piece of him with me um, who wants some and this could continue until we get to what we eventually saw in 2000 was the rivalry with him and Jerry Lawler where Jerry Lawler had stuck up for JR because JR had said some disparaging things on commentary towards Taz and um, that's how we got to their rivalry at SummerSlam maybe um Maybe, you know, Taz stealing head from Al Snow, um, like I said, is a little trophy piece, but it's a little step along the way to get us to Jerry Lawler. Um, maybe maybe this would signal um, Al Snow being off TV for a few weeks and he comes back and he's defending you know Jerry Lawler, or he helps Jerry Lawler win the SummerSlam match um, and takes back head. I don't know, um, but I don't see a whole lot going for um, for Al Snow here um, had he had defeated Taz. And same thing for Taz. Like I said, he was just going through guys at that time. His character was in the midst of a change, and he was he was going through anybody that they were putting in front of him, and so therefore um, Taz kind of. Um, you know, taking a piece of Al Snow with him is just a little part and a little step along his path um, to, to to him moving up. I really don't see much going for 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 either of these guys, especially Al Snow. Um, maybe you know, as time goes on, you know, the situation with Taz and Jerry Lawler pivots to Taz going after more guys. Maybe you know he, you know, and we'll talk about it later but he was involved in the finish of the rikishi val venus um steel cage match where he used the television camera to attack rikishi um and they didn't really um they did they didn't really um follow up on that following that um th there was no <laughs> there was no match there was no real big reason as to why he did that. Um, so maybe, you know, him stealing the head from Al Snow following his loss to Al Snow at this fully loaded pay-per-view leads to him just adding more victims to his list. Maybe he takes out Brian Christopher or Scott Taylor and, you know, he steals the two cool sunglasses, which were a big part of their characters. They put the sunglasses on and they would become like new people and do the big dance at the end of the, the, the match. Maybe he steals their sunglasses and that catches the attention of Rikishi. Uh, maybe he steals Rikishi's sunglasses. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we set up Taz and Rikishi. I don't know. Um, it, it's, it's very possible. Maybe we would never get to, you know, Taz and Jerry Lawler. Um, I don't know. But I feel like the only thing that seems 
plausible for that time period if Al Snow were to win is for Taz to kind of take a little memento of each of his victims uh, to remind everyone that you know he could do whatever he wants with anybody he's as bad as they come so um, this doesn't really do much for Al Snow unfortunately maybe we see another run in the hardcore division but he'd been there done that at that point so I don't think that um, I don't think uh I think if anything, Al Snow would be regressing. But maybe this brings back Al Snow as a more serious, darker character. Maybe, um, you know, eventually he does get the head back and um, he's a little bit more darker than he than he was. Um, most people like the lovable, goofy um, Al Snow that would talk to the, the mannequin head. Um, and that's what really got him over and really helped put that character on the map. But maybe you get a little bit more of a darker version of it and still incorporating the head following this um, attack by Taz and Taz kidnapping the head. Um, that's really all I can get out of that one. Um, the next match would be for the European Championship as Perry Saturn with Terry Runnels defeated Eddie Guerrero with China to become the WWF European Champion. Now, the Radicals, I've talked about this before, were, you know, the, the Chris Benoit, Perry Saturn, Eddie Guerrero, and Dean Malenko were the four guys that jumped ship from WCW to the WWF. They came over as a group. They were a big part of storylines right away, getting involved in stuff with Triple H and Cactus Jack and Too Cool and Rikishi, The Rock, etc. And so... Um, after that year's WrestleMania, the guys just seemed to kind of like split ways and do their own thing, but they weren't, it wasn't like an official breakup per se. And then on television, um, Saturn and Malenko, um, around this time period in, in late June, early July were, I guess, WWF management or WWF creative was trying to follow up on they, they, they wanted to do something with all these guys but they needed to kind of put an end to the whole radicals thing Benoit was off doing his own thing with Shane McMahon and the rest of those guys were just kind of left in the dust so they kind of did like a little quasi breakup so to speak and um, you know uh, the fact that Be uh, Malenko and Saturn were kind of jealous of Guerrero's success and his association with China and Everything that, is, that, that, that was a part of that brought us to this moment where it was Guerrero and Saturn for the European title. Um, and Guerrero's Latino Heat character was very popular. Him and China were a very popular tandem. Um, so I, I get the idea that they were trying to give Saturn a little bit of that rub by having him defeat Guerrero and become the European champion. And I liked Perry Saturn as a performer. I thought he was a legitimate badass. I really enjoyed his work. The stuff he did with the mop later, the moppy stuff. And I, I really enjoyed some of his stuff. He was a very underrated performer. Um, I, I, I saw some big things for him. I'm not saying he would have been the world heavyweight champion or the WWF champion, but I saw him being a, a prominent figure on television. Um, for the you know for years to come so you know i get why they they put the european championship on him um you know they they wanted to make the most out of their investment with these four guys and highlighting them in featured roles um and putting championships on them was a part of that plan so that i'm i'm just taking a wild guess here as to that's the reason why they shifted the championship from guerrero to saturn and so um Let's just say that Eddie Guerrero retained the European Championship um, over uh, Perry Saturn. Um, where does where does either of these guys go? Um, Saturn kind of floundered for a little bit at following WrestleMania. Had some some uh, some matches in the Hardcore Division, um, but didn't really do a, didn't really amount to a whole lot. And Malenko was part of the light heavyweight division. And so he was having a, a decent amount of matches with guys like S.A. Rios and Scotty Tuhati. And, um, but what if, um, in this case, um, you know, they paired up Guerrero or I'm sorry, Malenko and Saturn as a tag team. Uh, they were kind of teaming before, but making them like an official tag team, so to speak. Um, maybe even keeping the Radicals name uh, and having Terry as their valet. Uh, I mean, looking back on it, it probably would have been the better move for them 
mainly because the WWF light heavyweight division was not really, they didn't really put a ton of focus on it. And so by doing that, you kind of, you know, isolated Malenko um, and didn't really do much for him. Um, Malenko also, as great of a technician as he was and his ability in the ring, um, he didn't have a character that really connected. But at least to me, in a setting like a stable or a tag team, um, you got to see the best of Dean. You got to see the best personality of Dean Malenko, um, the Ice Man. You know, with his, you know, his 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 demeanor, his look, um, the way he presented himself. Him and a guy like Saturn in a tag team, I think, would have been a pretty badass tag team. To be perfectly honest with you, uh, they wouldn't have been, you know, setting the world on fire with the TLC matches. But you know, opposing guys like the Dudleys, opposing guys like Edge and Christian, opposing guys like the the APA. Um, I think Perry Saturn and Dean Malenko would have been a solid techni technical wrestling style tag team, which lacked in that tag team division you had the hardys that were high flyers edge and christian were flyers the dudleys and the apa were brawlers i don't really know what you would call too cool but those guys were you know they were like the gimmick of the tag team division you know they they were i guess you could call them like they were the comedy team but then you have a team like guerrero or malenko and saturn in that division um and, and I forgot Test and Albert, too. Test and Albert were like the big man tag team. The, you know, they were like bruisers, brawlers. Didn't really have a ton of technical wrestling skill. So you kind of add that to, I, I guess you could say you, 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 you pair up Saturn and Malenko and you add their ability and their technical wrestling skills to this tag team division. It differentiates them um, with Terry as their, their, their valet. I think they would have a decent run as a tag team. I really do. Um, but I think that they had plans for Perry Saturn. And they thought big of Perry Saturn. That's why they didn't put them together. But if Eddie Guerrero were to win, I, I don't... I don't see anything catastrophic taking place with Perry Saturn and Terry Runnels other than maybe just pairing up with Malenko and just sticking to tag team wrestling. That's, that's kind of where I see them go. As far as Guerrero goes... Um, him and China looked like they were on a path to a breakup. And I know that in in real time, in, in the year 2000, they would eventually get there. And it involved the Intercontinental Championship with Val Venus um, and Trish Stratus at SummerSlam. But what if Eddie Guerrero and China were to um, break up over the European championship um the title that china helped guerrero win the night after wrestlemania um i could see something like that maybe maybe val let's say and i'll, I'll get into this when it comes time to that match but let's say val venus is no longer the intercontinental champion um and you know the next night on monday night raw he has a little bit of a run-in with eddie guerrero backstage something to do maybe you know um and you know, something to do with, you know, him losing the Intercontinental Championship and they run into each other. They have some words and you just kind of set up a match impromptu for later that evening because that's how a lot of angles and storylines really developed on WWF programming at the time. Uh, very impromptu. So um, the two of them have a match and maybe Val picks up the victory. Um, and, and Val is, you know, now earning an opportunity at the European Championship. Even though he lost the Intercontinental title, now he's earning he's earned an opportunity at the European title. And like I said earlier, Trish had multiple roles at the time um, with her character being involved with several different people. Um, it wouldn't be out of the, the, the realm of possibility during this time period that Val would pivot from one title picture to another. Um, even though I felt like Val Venus, I think, had potential to work the main event and work with guys like Jericho and Triple H and The Rock. Um, Val Venus was also a very, as they like to say, a good hand in the mid card. So um, I could picture Val Venus and Eddie Guerrero over the European Championship. And maybe, just maybe, this is where they bring back the Val Venus character. Um, Actually, no. You know what? Let me take that back because this was during a period of time where they were trying to phase that character out because they had a lot of heat on them from the the parent television council. Maybe, just maybe, this is where the right to censor 
snatches up Val Venus. It would take a few months for Val to eventually join the group, but what if we get to, let's just say we get to SummerSlam and it's Val Venus against um, Eddie Guerrero for the European Championship and the right to censor helps Val Venus secure that victory and bring the championship back and now Val Venus is a member of the right to censor with a title in the camp. Maybe that's the impetus for the Guerrero-China split. Maybe Guerrero blames China for costing him the European Championship. Maybe Guerrero blames China for not protecting him enough from the right to censor in that match with Val Venus. Um, maybe that's how they get um, the split between China and Eddie Guerrero. Or maybe it's a situation where China helps Guerrero once again win the title and, and and Guerrero feels slighted because his girlfriend helped him win the championship. Um, even though he would adopt that lie, cheat, and steal mentality later on in his character's existence, maybe Guerrero didn't want China helping him after all. Um, and it's something that is brought to the forefront and brought to light, and that's how we get to the split because it was essentially Guerrero being jealous of China and her success that had brought um, that had brought uh, you know their split so maybe that has something to do with a Eddie Guerrero China split I don't know but um, you know maybe maybe in this instance Val Venus is expedited into the right to censor even sooner because the right to censor was a thing at this time um, they were just starting to really build their group um, so I I, I I could picture them going for Val Venus as a member of their 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 organization, their group, so to speak, and Val um, getting the help from them to re you know win the European Championship at SummerSlam that year. But um, not to kind of go too far off the beaten path. Um, yeah, that's where I kind of see the Perry Saturn Eddie Guerrero angle. You know, had Guerrero won and then kept the European title, maybe with a little help from China. Maybe, you know, we would see Malenko and, and Saturn form a team or stay together as a team. Hell, here's another scenario that I could kind of picture. Um, what if, now we, we, we talked about it a little in, in 2000, Guerrero and China wrestled Trish and Val Venus and Trish and Val Venus, um, or should I say Val Venus lost the Intercontinental title due to China defeating Val Venus. Um, what if that similar scenario were to have taken place at SummerSlam? It would be Guerrero and China against Saturn and Malenko, and China gets the pinfall, winning the European Championship from Eddie Guerrero. That, I think, would definitely spark the... the the breakup between these two even further because Guerrero was the champion. China gets the pinfall. She kind of steals the belt from him. The same person who helped him win the belt has now taken the belt from him and he, and she's the champion. So, um, that seems like a, a, a little more ideal of a scenario, uh, than, than the others. But, um, that's kind of, those are just some of the ideas and some of the thoughts as to where I felt they realistically could have gone had they, switched up the roles um moving on um the next match was for the wwf tag team championship we saw the acolyte protection agency the apa bradshaw and farouk defeat edge and christian by disqualification now um the lead up into this match was for weeks edge and christian avoiding defending their tag team titles against the acolytes whether they would feign that they were sick or injured um, they always found a way to get out of their tag team match and history showed us that they would eventually have this match but edge and christian would get themselves disqualified and the acolytes would win the match but not win the championship so let's just say history didn't give us those results and we we we've, we flipped the results here Edge and Christian retains the tag team titles, defeating the Acolytes. Um, I get why they went with the original finish of Edge and Christian getting themselves disqualified. It was the chicken shit heel thing to do, and they were really trying to build heat on them because, as we all know, you know, even though they didn't officially announce it, they 
teased it from time to time that we would see another match between Edge and Christian, the Hardys and the Dudleys in, in a ladder match form. So um, even as a kid at 17 years old watching this, I felt like, you know, the Acolytes didn't really have a chance to win and they were just a placeholder for Edge and Christian to eventually get to, um, you know, the, the, the TLC match. So in this instance here, um, let's just say Edge and Christian were to defeat the Acolytes and were to retain the Tag Team Championship. Um, I can't picture them beating them fair and square. It's probably something where they, they cheat to win, where they, you know, uh, pull the tights, feet on the rope, referee gets distracted, they knock one of the guys out with the belts, and they, they worm away with the victory. What happens from here? Um, well, you can easily go the rematch route. I could see them doing a rematch on Raw or even on SmackDown. Um, maybe in some type of a gimmick match, maybe like a, a, a no-holds-barred match or a Texas Tornado rules match. Um, but I don't see them going much further than that. I don't see the, ac the Acolytes involved in the tag team title picture per se. Um with Edge and Christian uh, moving forward with that, because I feel like they really, they, they they still would have they still would have wanted us to see the first ever TLC match with the Dudleys, um, Edge and Christian and the Hardys. Now, would it have been cool had they added the Acolytes into that match? Because I feel like their physical style would help complement that that type of match with tables, ladders, and chairs. That would have been cool, but. I don't think they would have pulled the trigger. I think they, they saw the magic with those three teams and adding another team to that, they didn't want to risk the magic being gone um, and the chemistry that those three teams had. And that's nothing against you know Bradshaw and Ron Simmons because they were a great tag team. I loved the APA when I was a kid. But um, I don't think that they wanted to... I don't think that... I don't think that they had real serious plans to showcase them um, in that light. They were popular. People dug them. And, you know, when you think of tag team wrestling during that era, like I said, the three teams, Hardys, Dudleys, Edge, and Christian, and then you think APA because uh, they were a very popular team. But I don't think that they wanted to put them in that ladder match setting. Like I said, they, they knew the magic they had. They didn't want to – if it wasn't broke, they weren't going to fix it. You know what I mean? So – that's as far as they go. Now, what happens if the AP had the, has the APA losing um, and Engine Christian winning in this role reversal? Like I said, rematch. Maybe we get some kind of Texas Tornado match and Engine Christian beat the Acolytes at their own game um, in that no disqualification environment. And maybe that helps build Engine Christian up to eventually get us to TLC. Um, kind of, you know depicting and highlighting their ability to perform in those unique match settings. But what happens to the Acolytes? Um, I think, I, I don't think much. I think maybe the same thing that we kind of got where they're just kind of off in the distance um, and not doing much, but eventually get them to um, the right to censor, uh, which we would see later on that year. Uh, the Acolytes would be a big target for the right to censor. So maybe we get that, um, but I don't see a whole lot taking place um, between both of those teams moving forward had Edge and Christian retain the championship um, in, in the fashion that they would have um, in this role reversal. Okay, um, I kind of alluded to this earlier, our next scenario here. Um, at this pay-per-view, we saw Val Venus, the Intercontinental Champion, retain the Intercontinental title over Rikishi inside of a steel cage. It was with a little bit of help from Taz. Um, but had the roles been reversed, what would have... What would have happened had Rikishi won the Intercontinental title? Um, I feel like his he was so popular as a character that like they needed to pull the trigger at some point. You know, I even pictured Rikishi in the main event um, in the title picture. Um, I remember he had a great match with Triple H earlier in the year on a SmackDown. I believe it was in January of 2000, um, and they had a great match. And I was like, wow, like he could be in the main event. Like he, he could, it was believable to me, you know? Um, and so I felt like they, they had to have pulled the trigger at some point with him because I feel like his popularity, like he was, he was going to lose some steam had he not 
been rewarded in some form or fashion. So in this instance here, you know, as we remember, history showed us Val Venus won barely defeating Rikishi and becoming and, and retaining the Intercontinental Championship. Um, the big spot from this match saw Rikishi do the Jimmy Superfly snooker splash off the top of the cage onto Val Venus, but Val Venus would barely escape. I believe Taz got involved, like I said earlier, using the television camera to um, nail Rikishi in the head, and Val Venus would pick up the victory. Um, but let's just say this is altered a little bit, and we get we get you know val venus losing the intercontinental title via this rikishi top of the cage splash and rikishi's the intercontinental champion where do we go from here what happens um well i think we automatically get some kind of rematch between the two um that that's that's very possible val venus invoking a rematch clause maybe on a monday night raw maybe on a smackdown uh, maybe even at SummerSlam, or we get um, a scenario here where maybe the right to censor recruits Val sooner, and that's what sets up, um, you know, the, the big match at, at SummerSlam with Rikishi and Too Cool against the right to censor. They had a six-man tag, but it was Stevie, Goodfather, and Bull Buchanan. What if it's Goodfather, Bull Buchanan, and Val Venus? with Stevie as the mouthpiece against Rikishi and Too Cool. Rikishi is the Intercontinental Champion. I could picture that too. I could picture them going that direction. Um, what if they totally abandon um, Val Venus and Rikishi and we get what many expected for that SummerSlam or for that time period and we get Taz and Rikishi for the Intercontinental Championship. Um, Taz was involved in the finish. He nailed Rikishi with a camera. What if Taz were to come back out after Rikishi was celebrating that big victory post-match and Taz nails Rikishi, gives him the Taz mission, celebration over. He stands over Rikishi, holding the Intercontinental Championship. Maybe he he takes Rikishi's, you know, uh, uh, ent uh, his uh, sunglasses or his robe or whatever. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that's like another piece of rikishi that taz has and the next step is to getting the intercontinental title or taz just steals the intercontinental title from him and even though he's not the champion you know rikishi is the the rightful champion and the owner of that championship taz just kind of taking a piece of rikishi um with that belt you get you, you have a ready-made chase with the champion rikishi looking to get revenge on the guy that stole his title literally not figuratively but literally um that's something that i could see as well which means that you would kind of have to abandon or ditch the taz jerry lawler storyline or maybe prolong that maybe um maybe that would indicate you know that they don't have a match at SummerSlam, but let's say based on the finish of a taz rikishi SummerSlam match that lawler either gets involved or post-match Taz does something to, you know, he's upset that he lost to Rikishi and he's humiliated because Rikishi gave him a big stink face and, you know, he goes after JR and that's how they set up him and Lawler. But in this instance here, I could picture Rikishi winning and Taz just kind of, you know, making his mark and, you know, you know, marking his territory, so to speak, and taking the Intercontinental title to set those two up at SummerSlam. Um because at the time, Taz was going after a lot of people. His character was, you know, attacking guys left and right. Um, like I said, he got involved in this match, uh, costing Rikishi the match. So I can definitely see him attacking Rikishi post-match and going a step further, maybe even taking the Intercontinental title. And, and you know, the announcers are like, that's not his title. He didn't win that. He attacks Rikishi. Oh, son of a bitch. And, you know everything else that you know jr would say in a, in, a, in a situation or a setting like that so um that's where i kind of see um this going had rikishi won the intercontinental title on this show like i said val venus could definitely be plugged into right to censor very early it could be a situation where he lost his title let's just say trish leaves him and she's like i'm done with you you're not a champion anymore i'm not going to represent a loser and the right to censor looks to val and it's like you know you need some direction you're lost um we can help you and that's how they recruit val venus 
and you know they, we kind of expedite that process a little earlier so i could definitely see those scenarios playing out had the roles been reversed all right um the big three matches that were the headline matches of this card in fact this was announced as like a triple main event this show um the first match being the undertaker and kurt angle um history showed us that the undertaker um defeated kurt angle uh and this was a this was a storyline where kurt angle was um doing everything he could to get the attention of undertaker to really bait the undertaker into um you know getting a match with him um from pouring milk on his motorcycle and pissing off the undertaker to taking his motorcycle and um trashing it uh off the off the stage to attacking the undertaker and costing him um opportunities at the championship uh kurt angle made it a, a you know his character made it a point to get the attention of the undertaker any way he could um so history showed us that uh undertaker defeated kurt angle and at the time i was kind of disappointed with that because as much as i liked undertaker i was digging kurt angle at the time and i thought kurt angle could use a big win here um and given the way that this story had played out where it was a it was a game of cat and mouse any chance undertaker could he was going after kurt angle and kurt angle was just a step ahead of him every single time um you know i i was really hoping we'd get a kurt angle victory so let's play role reversal how do we get kurt angle and undertaker for this match for or how do we get kurt angle how do we get kurt angle defeating undertaker where do they go from here um once again, another situation where it could be a good old game of cat and mouse. Undertaker getting duped um, by Kurt Angle it could be a situation where Undertaker goes for the last ride and Kurt Angle counters and he rolls him up and he's got his tights or he's got his foot on the ropes and 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 Kurt Angle pulls out the the upset victory um, and it's and Undertaker's pissed. Um, rightfully so um, and it's just another case of Kurt Angle getting the best of Undertaker um, I could definitely picture a rematch with them down the line at SummerSlam uh, maybe some type of a stipulation maybe um, a cage match where there's nowhere for Kurt Angle to run um, maybe even Hell in the Cell um, at that SummerSlam Undertaker Kurt Angle with um you know like i said there's nowhere for kurt to run he had been running from undertaker for weeks and getting the best of him and now you know undertaker wants kurt angle one last time and he's gonna get it at SummerSlam for the for, for you know for his pride he's fighting for his pride here because he's been humiliated for weeks and weeks on end um that i can definitely picture i could definitely picture um undertaker and Kurt Angle inside Hell in the Cell. Now, in real time, um, it looked like for a brief moment in time, they were trying to build up Shane McMahon as like the new the new corporate figure. Vince was off television, and so Shane was still on TV, and they kind of had him aligned with, with Edge and Christian at one point. They kind of had him aligned with Benoit, and then they brought Big Show in. And... Uh, Big Show would set his sights on Undertaker and Kane, okay? Um, maybe Big Show returns earlier um, and helps Kurt Angle defeat Undertaker at this pay-per-view at Fully Loaded to then set up Undertaker and Kane versus Kurt Angle and Big Show at SummerSlam in a tag team match. Let's just say you throw Shane McMahon in there, you make it a three-on-two because um, someone needs to take a bump. And I'm sure that they would have something planned for, for, for Shane McMahon. As a matter of fact, they did it that SummerSlam, but it was totally separate from these other two. Um, I could picture that. It sounded like they were kind of going in that direction a little bit with Big Show and Shane versus Undertaker and Kane at SummerSlam, but they kind of had to pivot. They had sent Big Show back down to Ohio Valley Wrestling, which was their developmental territory, and um, they weren't pleased with the way that Big Show looked or how he performed, so they, they scrapped the angle immediately, and then they went with Kane turning on Undertaker yet again. So... <sighs> I definitely, definitely, definitely could see 
Big Show getting involved a little bit early, um, helping Kurt, Kurt having an insurance policy, and Undertaker, of course, having his brother Kane backing him up, we get some kind of a tag match at SummerSlam. Maybe they even make it a tag team Hell in the Cell match, Undertaker and Kane against Kurt Angle and The Big Show. Um, or even Kurt Angle, Big Show, and Shane McMahon. Um, you know, WWF programming in 2000, they threw everything at they, they they threw everything at the wall, and almost everything stuck to the wall creatively that people got behind. You know, you got big marquee matchups on TV every week. You got gimmick matches galore. This isn't something that that people that I couldn't imagine taking place during that time frame, during that 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 period of time in, in WWF. Um, you know, TLC matches, hardcore matches, last man standing matches, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, so, yeah, I could definitely picture this kind of scenario here. Big Show helping Kurt Angle at Fully Loaded to set up, you know, Undertaker Kane against Kurt Angle and Big Show, whether it's a straight up tag match or even Hell in the Cell. That's something I can picture for, for you know, what moves, what happens moving forward. Um <clears throat> You also got to remember, too, at this time, Kurt Angle was kind of involved with Stephanie McMahon a little bit. She had she had gotten involved in one of his King of the Ring qualifying matches or tournament matches at the King of the Ring pay-per-view um, the month before. So um, Kurt Angle was one of the one of the few um, characters on the on on the program that had multiple roles. Like I said, Trish had multiple roles. Um, she was involved in a few different things. Same thing with Taz, same thing with Kurt Angle. Um, so yeah, I, uh, you gotta take that into account too as well. Maybe, um, maybe Kurt Angle getting the help doesn't lead to a tag match and Kurt Angle pivots to something else. But, um, at the same time, I think it's more realistic and ideal that um, Kurt Angle kind of stay with Undertaker during that time period. And we move forward with Kurt Angle and Big Show against Undertaker and Kane, whether that's for SummerSlam or a later date, who knows. But I feel like that would more than likely be for SummerSlam. Um, and whether it's a hell in the cell or not, who knows. But that's something I could picture at that time in 2000. So, um, And like I said, what does it do for Undertaker? Well, it doesn't do much, but it just sets up the matches I previously mentioned um, Undertaker was already a made guy at that point it wasn't going to hurt his character whatsoever so um, yeah that's 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 kind of where I stand with this match here the next match on this card was a last man standing match with Triple H and Chris Jericho and history showed us that Triple H had defeated Chris Jericho in this last man standing match which to me that was probably Jericho's best match at that point in the WWF he had been with the company for almost a year he was having some good matches but he was really starting to you know his he was really starting to um pick up his stride um towards this part of uh his his uh his tenure in the company and the, the stuff he did with triple h was awesome the the phantom title switch that they had on that episode of monday night raw where jericho was the wwf champion for 15 minutes i thought that was really good stuff and they kind of played off of that in this storyline um and then stephanie mcmahon getting involved in jericho's king of the ring qualifying match or, or the king of the ring tournament match with kurt angle helping kurt angle defeat him to then setting up Jericho costing Triple H a match and an opportunity at the WWF Championship and a number one contenders match, so they had a lot of they, they had a lot of steam going behind their their angle heading into this match. Um, like I said, if you go back and watch this pay per view, but specifically watch this match, this was the match of the night. Um, these two tore it up, and Triple H was on fire in the year 2000. Anything he did was just awesome stuff, and this was a match where <clears throat> I kind of. I kind of flirted with the idea in my brain that Jericho was ready for the main event before this match um, based off of his arrival into the WWF and the things he was doing. But this was the match that was like, damn, he needs to be in the title picture. He needs to be wrestling for the belt. Like he needs to be headlining the pay-per-views because he just, he brought it. Um, you know, the, the, the physicality in this match was just unbelievable. The drama, the suspense, like these two just tore it up. Um, one of my favorite Chris Jericho matches of all time was this match with Triple H, this last man standing match. Um, and history showed us that Jericho came up short 
in in a valiant effort to defeat Triple H in this match, and Triple H would come out the victor. But what if Triple H were to take the loss here and Jericho were to become the victor and Jericho was the last man standing? What happens from here? Um, selfishly, as a fan, I would have loved to have seen them wrestle again in a different type of setting. Maybe, um, maybe a situation where Triple H and Jericho wrestle in an I Quit match. Um, Jericho barely getting out alive and defeating Triple H in this last man standing match, and Triple H and Stephanie being so upset that Jericho's been a thorn in their side that, you know, they're trying to force him out of the WWF. They'll make him say, I quit. Um, gimmick match during this time period was, you know, definitely a, a, a possibility. Um, but um, given the state of their, their the main event scene um, and the guys that were in the main event, um, I don't think that uh, they had plans for Jericho and Triple H moving forward after this and it showed obviously um because they pivoted to jericho and benoit and then triple h was involved in the title picture with um kurt angle and the rock at that SummerSlam. but um what if jericho won um i definitely see a rematch of some sort some type of stipulation some type of gimmick um Maybe instead of the Hell in the Cell gimmick with Undertaker and Kane against Kurt Angle and Big Show, maybe we get Triple H and Jericho inside Hell in the Cell at SummerSlam um, to, uh, to, to, to settle things. Um, Triple H has history in the Hell in the Cell match. He had defeated Cactus Jack earlier that year at the No Way Out pay-per-view. Um, so maybe that's, you know... Triple H has to go to drastic lengths to get his victory back. You know, he was embarrassed that Jericho beat him at Fully Loaded in the... In the, the um, the the big uh, last man standing match and he challenges Jericho to one more match and um, they raise the stakes the winner would become the number one contender for the WWF championship at a later date Jericho versus Triple H that's very possible um, considering that their first match against each other on Raw was for the WWF title and that's what really kind of kicked things off with this rivalry was Jericho's phantom title win and then the title switch um, just minutes later I think that that could play that could factor into their their rivalry um, had they gone this direction had they go Jericho beating Triple H um, he came close he came damn close um, but what if he did um, I definitely see them revisiting a rematch of sorts in a, in a, in a bigger gimmick match like a Hell in a Cell at SummerSlam uh, imagine that SummerSlam that year if you had you know Jericho and Triple H in a Hell in a Cell you had a tag team match with Undertaker and Kane against Kurt Angle and Big Show you have the TLC match with Edge and Christian the Dudleys and the Hardy um, talk about a stacked SummerSlam, you know, Taz and Rikishi for the Intercontinental title. You know, a lot of these scenarios are pivoting to SummerSlam, which is kind of the direction that a lot of their stories would go. They went from month to month. Um, some overlapped into months and some they just scrapped and they would start fresh with a different story. Um, this wouldn't be one of those, I don't think. Um, but, uh, and, and not to say that the SummerSlam they gave us wasn't a bad, you know, was a bad show. It wasn't. I thought it was a great show. Um, most of their pay-per-view outings in 2000 were top-notch, um, some of the best. Um, so, yeah, uh, Jericho defeating Triple H at this fully loaded, I think it leads to a rematch of bigger uh, proportions and, and bigger stakes, you know, and maybe this, maybe this is how you get Hunter back into the title picture or even flirt with Jericho in the title picture. I couldn't see Jericho beating him two times in a row, so, but I can see them having a, a, a much um, bigger... Um, more dangerous, more violent rematch at SummerSlam um, following this last man standing match. And the last match on this card in our trading places scenario here, we have The Rock going one-on-one -on -one as the WWF champion taking on Chris Benoit with Shane McMahon in his corner. Now, the stipulation in this match was that if The Rock was disqualified, he would have lost the championship. Um, 
and based off of the build-up to this match, Rock and Benoit had a series of run-ins. They had a match on Raw, um, Benoit attacking the referee, forcing the Rock to um, to uh, to challenge him for for the the championship. Um, Rock was the champion challenging Benoit, offering him a title shot uh, because he knew that Benoit wasn't going to stop. But um, the stipulation of Rock getting disqualified and losing the title was interesting. Um, and history showed us that at first, Rock did get disqualified. Um, the referee thought that the Rock had used a chair in the match and eventually the instant replay showed that uh it was shane mcmahon who got involved and used the chair um and the rock would they would restart the match and at one point you know rock was or chris benoit won the title and was the wwf champion he was holding the title and then they restarted the match and the rock would eventually win and retain the wwf championship um, but what if chris benoit did leave fully loaded as the WWF champion had the rock been, um, disqualified. Um, it would have been a, um, it would have been, uh, an interesting finish to say the least. Um, and it definitely would have rolled some eyes. A lot of people probably wouldn't have liked to have seen the rock lose the title that way, but I definitely feel like it would have led to a, a match with the two of them at SummerSlam for the championship rock, getting his rematch against Benoit. I can't see them keeping the title on Benoit for an extended period of time during that time period in the year 2000. But I definitely could see them flirting with the idea. They did it with Jericho for 15 minutes. Why not end that pay-per-view in controversial fashion and have Benoit leave as the champion and not really defeating The Rock, but winning via that loophole and that stipulation, which sets up their SummerSlam rematch. Um, that's really the only way I could see this taking place. Um, I can't see Benoit defeating him clean because The Rock was so red hot at the time. Um, and they were flirting with ideas with Benoit in the main event and Benoit in a more high-profiled role um, at that time, um, associating him with Shane McMahon. But I just can't see them... I, I, I can't see them having Rock tap out to Benoit clean in the middle. I, I feel like the, the disqualification stipulation with Rock losing the title would have to come into play here. And I think that's how we get Chris Benoit as the champion leaving fully loaded. And like I said, it would definitely set up a rematch between the two of them. I can't see any other way that they, that they don't do a rematch. I can't see them just having Rock pivot to something else or Benoit wrestle somebody else at SummerSlam. No, I think that, and I think because the Brock and Chris Benoit had great matches against each other, that people would want to see a rematch, not only because of the way Rock lost the title, but because of the quality of matches they had. So that's the direction I, I, I can picture in that time frame in the year 2000 had the roles been reversed, had Chris Benoit won the title in controversial fashion. So I'm going to, that's the, that's the scenario I'm going to stick with here. Um, and, uh, and, and that does it for this, this trading places episode of kicking out of two as we covered fully loaded, uh, from, uh, July the 23rd, 2000. Um, like I said, you guys should go check that pay-per-view out. It was a great show top to bottom the crowd was super hot. One of my favorite pay-per-views of all time. Go check it out on the WWE Network, Fully Loaded 2000. Um, you, you definitely won't be disappointed. And that about does it this week here on Kicking Out of Two. Thank you so very much for joining me for this Fully Loaded 2000 Trading Places format. Uh, next week, we bring you another Blind Date Diary. Like I told you, the month of July is filled with Trading Places and Blind Date Diary formats. And uh, we're going to end July with In Your House 2 from July the 25th, 1995. We'll be approaching the 25-year anniversary of that show. I've never watched the entire pay-per-view. First time I'll watch it and give you guys a comprehensive Blind date diary a recap if you will uh, the only match i've watched on this card was the Shawn michaels jeff jarrett match from an old uh, old Shawn michaels compilation vhs tape years and years ago so uh, i'm gonna watch the show from start to finish and let you know uh, was it a good blind date or a bad blind date does this blind date deserve a second opportunity a second a second chance uh with me or is it is it a one and done uh, you'll find out next week here on kicking out at two and then the month of august is going to be pretty loaded we're going to have ourselves on august the 5th 
another Dave Five Fanny Pack talking about five random topics in professional wrestling history. We're going to talk about uh, the British Bulldog Davy Boy Smith. We're going to talk about the WCW Six Man Tag Team Championship, the short-lived uh, uh, version of that of, of those championships. We're going to talk about we're going to talk about some Harley Race stories, uh, some fascinating Harley Race stories I've heard uh, as we'll be approaching his uh, his passing of one year anniversary. We'll talk about a modern day version of the NWO um, led by John Cena. Can 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 we make it happen? Um, you know, ever since they did that NWO spoof on that WrestleMania Firefly Funhouse match, um, everyone's been kind of talking about uh, a John Cena heel turn and maybe leading the NWO. Um, so we're going to talk about that and some other great stuff. The following week, August the 12th, we're going to celebrate Hulk Hogan's birthday with a special request from one of our great listeners, Nick Opelouski. Uh, a few months back, I put it out there. I do special requests, and Nick answered the call, and he wanted me to recap the Hulk Hogan unreleased DVD, uh, unreleased matches DVD compilation. And unfortunately, I don't have the DVD anymore because I don't watch DVDs, um, but apparently this is on the WWE Network. So I'm going to watch it and recap it for you, Nick, because you asked for it. And if anybody has got any special requests, I take them. So by all means, have at it. Um, then the following week, SummerSlam 1996 Trading Places, and then ending the, the month of August with a SummerSlam 1990 Watch Party. Uh, and that's what we got going on here on Kicking Out at 2. And with that being said, I think it's officially about that time we put the show down for the three count, and we will see you all next week. <laughs>